That's a vital part of God's mission. And it's, it's got tremendous implications for how God's people are supposed to carry out their lives in the public. And we're going to need to exercise some muscles that we might not have used before if you come from those uh, sort of more private uh, kinds of spirituality traditions. Um, I, I teach missiology, uh, you know, study of missions at uh, seminary. So many of the conversations that, that I have with students, it revolves around developing strategies, developing ideas and innovations. And, you know, a lot of it can be about doing. Um, but sometimes I find that the doing can take over everything. And, the, and then that's when things start to revolve around questions like, how can we get these results? How can we get these numbers? Now, what are the most effective techniques? And when that becomes the main attraction, you lose, sight of the, you lose sight of the heart of the doing. Because mission becomes about doing this bold thing that other people are afraid to try, or setting up something that's cutting edge and innovative, or doing some clever things that other people will admire and say, wow, you're really doing some cool things. And we Americans love techniques, and we love know-how and how to grow a church in three easy steps. Not that innovation and effective techniques are bad things per se, but they are, uh, they're not the only things, not even the main things. The main thing is that we need righteous people, people who reflect the holiness of God, who love God, who love His mission, and love the world as He loves the world to be carrying out the mission of God in this world. And that's why Jesus doesn't say, make yourself the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. Right? That's your identity. And, that's, and this is, and you know, we, we've heard two stories today of how God is shaping us and who He has made us to be. And this is what needs to be shared who we are, our life. So let's look into what that means for us today. Uh, but, so, part one of the sermon is about God's people in God's missionary plan. Because uh, being the light before doing the light, this becomes more evident when we look to the overall flow of the scriptures to see how God intended his people to fit into his missionary plan. If we read through scriptures, God has always been showing himself as a missionary God, right? He's always been a missionary God. Uh, what I mean by that is that the story of the Bible is the story of a God who loves the world that's fallen away from his presence and from his glory, from his light, and into darkness, and into sin and death. It's the story of God's love that will not be denied. And, it's his, and, he, and the, the story is about his astonishing plan to rescue his lost children and to restore his creation back to himself. So over time, he sends his people. He sends his prophets. And ultimately, surprisingly, Shockingly, he sends his son on a mission to redeem the world. And when God calls Abraham to be the father of his people, it was so that Abraham's family and his descendants could be a light that would shine the way back for the nations to come back to God. In Genesis 12, verse 3, God calls Abraham, and he says, uh, he will bless him and make him into a great nation. For what purpose? so that all peoples on earth would be blessed through you. And do you know what he's saying here? The, the, the missionary God is forming a missionary people to draw all of the nations back to himself. But the Bible also says 
that Abraham and his children weren't always all that great at being light to the nations. They kept on doing what was right in their own eyes. And God rescued them from Egypt, the land of their slavery. But instead of being light to the world, Israel made the golden calf and worshipped that instead of the true God. God gave them what they want and needed to set up a kingdom of justice and righteousness and gave them a good land to live in. But they went after other gods, lived selfish lives of materialism and pleasure, and oppressed the weak and helpless so that the rich and powerful could get richer and more powerful. In the end, they lose the kingdom and they get carried off into foreign lands in exile. And, and, but the, the uh, Bible continues. This isn't the end of the story because God in his love still would not let go. He did, doesn't just walk away disgusted by the failure of his people. Instead, through Israel, uh, through Isaiah, the prophet, God, uh, the prophet, God said that there would be something more. Something more amazing was in store. God says this to his people in Isaiah 46, 49 verse 6. He says, It is too small a thing. For you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. In other words, bring the people of Israel back from exile and restore the kingdom, which eventually happened. He goes on to say, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I will make you a light for the Gentiles, he says. Even in the midst of their failures, God still promises this. The plan is not over. It's not done because you have failed. I will still carry this forth. And so here comes Jesus. And when he comes on the scene, Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 9. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's a good Advent verse. The prophet Isaiah Matthew says, this prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greater Israel. He, was, he becomes the true light to the nations that the people of Israel failed to be. The nations would see Jesus, and seeing him, they would see God's glory, and by believing in Jesus, they would find their way back to God. But there's more. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, what we just read today in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, Jesus is the light of the world. He accomplished God's mission to rescue creation, but he's planning to work this out, work out the plan through his people. I want us to see something here, because the Sermon on the Mount is portrayed in Matthew as a, as a repeat of when Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the law from God in Exodus. Mount Sinai and the giving of the law of Moses marks the beginning of Israel as a nation. You could say that the law given at Sinai was their constitution as a new nation. So when Jesus gives his disciples the Sermon on the Mount, he's not just teaching us how to live moral lives, Right? He's teaching us, he's starting a new people of God. He's giving us a new constitution for the people who belong to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says this in verse 17, Don't think I've come to do away with the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. In other words, he's come to complete what God started through Moses. He says this again and again through the Sermon on the Mount. You've, he says, you've heard that it was said to you long ago, but I say to you, 
And so he, he says, you, my people, are to be so pure sexually that you do not only refrain from sex outside of marriage, you don't even stare at a person lustfully. Not only do you not commit murder, you don't slander them, nor even should you be holding onto hatred and anger and bitterness in your heart towards them. Not only do you love your friends and family, you are even to love your enemies. See, this is that the, the implication is the church is made up of citizens living in many nations all around the world, but they are now one people because they belong to the same kingdom of God and they have been called to a living that is holy and that reflects God's character. And their first allegiance is to the new constitution that Jesus gives them here because, because they belong first and foremost to God's kingdom. And this kingdom is what will last forever. Rome passed away. Babylon passed away. And the United States too will one day pass away. But the kingdom of God will last forever. And Christians need to live like they know that's true. And so that's why <clears throat> there's no such thing as a Christian political party because the kingdom of God is our party. And the Sermon on the Mount is our constitution. We are to live by a different standard than the world, and we have a different mission than to try to just uh, do what everybody else does, is, uh, which is to try to gain power in this world. Our mission in this world instead is to be the light to the nations. So Christian friends, this means we are called to holiness. And this life of holiness, lived by God's people, Jesus says, is what will shine the light of God in this world of darkness. This doesn't happen by focusing on fighting to pass legislation that will force other people to act like they're Christians. Although good laws are necessary and good, you know, we need to keep on working on that, but this is not the primary thing, right? Nor by fighting to get ourselves into positions of power in this world, nor by shaming other people when, they think that, when we think that they're out of line. Instead, the church is called to live a life of joyful holiness ourselves so that we should be a light. And by our lives, the nations will see your good deeds of love and sacrifice and come to put their trust in God, to be drawn to come out of darkness into the light of life of reconciliation with God. Your life of holiness matters to the mission of God. So Paul says this in Acts chapter 13, verse 47 to 48. Again, quoting from Isaiah, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. See, church, you've been included into the missionary plan of God. Right? You are a missionary people. God has made you a light for the Gentiles, a light to the nations, so his salvation would reach the ends of the earth. It's part two, and uh, it's got to do with God's ad campaign. Um, I heard this story a few years ago on the radio show, This American Life. Some of you might listen to it. Um, I, I happen to listen to it uh, fairly regularly, and it uh, made me think. Uh, this story made me think of what we as God's people are supposed to be in this world. Um, about a decade and a half ago now, in the country of Colombia, which was gripped by a civil war between the government and a guerrilla group named FARC. An advertising executive um, named Jose Sokolov was approached by the government. Uh, and the, gov the assignment for him was to convince as many FARC guerrilla fighters as possible to give up fighting. 
demobilize, to quit the FARC. And Sokolov talks about his work in this way. I think about change, about how to change behavior, how to change a perception. That's the business that we're in. We're in the business of changing minds. Sounds a little bit like evangelism and mission. Uh, Sokolov and his colleagues began by interviewing a bunch of guerrillas who just demobilized to find out what makes someone quit the FARC. And they collected these stories and made them into 30-second TV ads that they could air during soccer match halftimes because everybody in Colombia, you know, including guerrillas in the jungle, watched football matches. Right? They would try a campaign and then find out what they needed to adapt and adjust, and they kept on getting the message out. Uh, then Sokolov's team saw something that was very interesting. Demobilization numbers spiked around Christmas. Guerrillas wanted to be home for Christmas. And they realized December was a window of opportunity. So this is what they did. In nine strategic pathways in the jungle, they put up gigantic trees, 75 feet high, with, covered with Christmas lights. And these trees would light up at night. And they had a sign beside them that lit up when the guerrillas happened to walk by and th th that triggered a, a motion uh, sensor. Uh, and it said, if Christmas can come to the jungle, you can come home. Demobilize, it's Christmas. Everything is possible. They called it Operation Christmas. That effort alone demobilized 331 guerrillas, about 5% of the rebel force. But the agency didn't stop there. They learned something, some new intel that the rivers were the real highways in the jungle. So for Christmas 2011, the campaign was called Operation Rivers of Light. Jose and company went to towns and villages and gathered little toys and trinkets and notes that people wrote to the guerrilla fighters. And they put all of these things into a plastic bowl that glowed. And they floated 7,000 of these balls onto the rivers of Colombia. They, and they all lit up at night. Uh, the gorilla said it was like a river of galaxies floating towards you. And the Christmas after that, they decided they weren't just going to bring light to the jungle, they were going to use lights to try to lead gorillas out of the jungle. They shone huge spotlights up into the sky that they, the way that they did in Manhattan after 9-11 to symbolize the missing towers. And except in this case, the message was, this Christmas, follow the light that will guide you to your family and to your freedom. They called it Operation Bethlehem. And it's fascinating how... Um, uh, they talk about their approach. Uh, uh, Sokolov says, it must be beautiful. When you see all these lights floating down the river, you can't escape the thought of, this is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. If it's not beautiful, I probably wouldn't have looked at it. I would have said, this is trash floating down the river. <laughs> but if it's a beautiful thing that's coming down, then I'm drawn to it. I'm interested. Beauty is one element. Another element is surprise. Their final campaign was Mother's Voices. They found 37 mothers of guerrilla fighters who were willing to give them pictures of those fighters as young children. And I didn't, others didn't know who they were in these photos, but the people in the photos could recognize themselves. And they printed up thousands of these four posters and hung them up in the jungles and towns with the message, before you were a guerrilla, you are my child. Come back this Christmas. I'm waiting for you. Now, I realize that's a long illustration. <laughs> But I think it helps us to see the central point of the sermon. The kingdom of God that the church points to is beautiful and it's surprising. So the life of the church should be beautiful and surprising. I think about churches and Christians living and worshiping and sharing the good news all around the world as these little lights that God floats down the river so that the world will look and they will say, what is that? 
It's beautiful. That's what Jesus means when he says, you are the light of the world. His people are called to live lives of holiness and righteousness in the midst of a world that God is calling to demobilize and come back home to him. You, church, are God's ad campaign that he is using to send a message into the world. Before you were a gorilla, you were my child. Come home. That's surely what Paul has in mind when he says this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Church, we are a light that points the way for the nations back home to God. You are a part of God's campaign to the world to demobilize. That's why you need to live a life of holiness. This is why how we live together, the, the kind of community that we cultivate, the relationships that we have with each other, all of this matters, matters a great deal. The life of holiness, that's why your personal conduct is not just private, it's public. God meant it for it to be a blessing into the world. That's part three, light in the neighborhood. So God has made you a light to the nations. And the nations are all around you, where you live, where you work, where you play. Right here in the city of Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, I, I, I marvel always uh, when I say this. Uh, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But in the 21st century, the nations have come to us. Church, how are we being a light to the nations? It's, is your holiness visible to them? Does it make a difference in the life of the community? Is the neighborhood better off because you are here? Is your holiness public? Most of us today think that doing good, you know, has to involve something like uh, setting up a nonprofit and uh, get a Kickstarter campaign going, produce videos for social media, and uh, you know, get the, uh, and uh, kind of uh, put that on blast. And we think evangelizing means being a lifestyle influencer. Sometimes, you know, dress up your life for the camera to look envy-worthy, look like you're living your best life now, and put it on blast. We think in terms of techniques, marketing know-how, and these things are not unimportant. But I think we need to consider the many nameless saints in the neighborhoods who are making a deep difference in people's lives and in their communities every day through their seemingly small contributions, through their insignificant acts of love. I know of ladies in the city who round up kids on the block during the summer when kids have nothing to do because their families can't afford to send them to camps and to activities. So they have Bible camps on their stoops. They have them on their front porches. These ladies take these neighborhood kids in under their wings. When the kids get into trouble or when their families go through crises, these ladies are there to be a friend in the name of Jesus. I know Christians who become block captains because they know that their block needs good leadership. They see it as a calling from God to love their block. They end up gaining the respect of others around them because of their character and because of their love for others. They won't end up on the cover of Christianity today but they're my heroes. These are the kinds of people 
who aren't will, uh, just waiting around until they can go someplace so, uh, else uh, you know, around, the, uh, around the world to be full-time missionaries. They know that they're full-time missionaries already. They, these are the kinds of people who don't simply say, you know, I'd like to serve, I'd like to be a blessing, but nobody's leading, nobody's opening the doors. They're not waiting around for that. These are people who cannot hide their light. They can't help being light to the nations where they are at. They look around them. They see where the needs are. They see what they can do, and they go and, do, and get to it. Like these people, you and I have been placed by God in our locations as his lights, as signs, as witnesses to the kingdom of God. And we are to, as we seek to live out our lives, under God's reign, marked by grace, marked by humility, marked by holiness in our neighborhoods. God put you there so that when people who live with you get a good look into your lives, they can see that a different world is possible. That is your calling. We need people of character and holiness. We need image bearers of God's good news to this world who will shine like stars in this world through the way that they conduct their lives. And you can't do that just by, uh, by just making your faith something private and personal. You see, your holiness needs to be public. Um, you know, lately, uh, I've had the pleasure of talking with some of you about becoming rooted in the city, considering your call to stay in Philadelphia long-term. Because, you know, and many of us are sort of like in that age range where, um, you know, we are kind of transient. You know, you're here today and gone tomorrow. And that's not necessarily a bad thing per se. You know, God might have called you to another place to be His light there. But I think we know that most of the time, we're more motivated not by God's calling, but by God, our career, by our convenience, by the pursuit of the American dream. But as long as you are here, I'd like for you to consider loving the place that God has placed you in now, where he has put you in for, for the time being. I, uh, and um, I've asked the community, community group leaders to lead us on projects uh, to, to get to know our neighborhoods better in the next couple of months because, you know, the reality is you can't love what you don't know. Uh, so, so go out there and get to know the neighborhood, get to know the community, and do it, as a, do it together as a group. And my prayer is that some of you might be able to sense a calling from God to put your roots down and love the place that God has planted you to be in, to be his witnesses and to be his light among the nations. Because you can't do that when you are always on the move, right? Um, early Christians, they were noticed by the Roman Empire because they were different. They were marked by two things that the Roman Empire noticed. They were extremely generous with their money and with their possessions. But sexually, they were completely chaste. So Tertullian says, uh, one of the church fathers, he says, One in mind and soul, we do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. All things are common among us but our wives. That's holiness, and it's public. When the world sees the holiness in the lives of the Christians, and they, they stop and say, something has happened here, what is it? When they keep pursuing that question, they will see that Jesus is what's happened. So ultimately, it's not light coming from within us that makes us light to the nations. If we're honest, we confess that we fall and we fail 
far short of God's glory every day. And uh, even when uh, uh, our lips uh, say that we believe in God, our lives don't necessarily match that. And uh, we need, it's something that we need to confess on a regular basis. And uh, we realize that it's not because of our own goodness that we are able to do any of this, but because it's the grace of God. If anything, if other people are able to see any goodness in our lives, it's because of the work of God, who's, and He's done something amazing. It's a miracle that this has happened. We are, and we know that we are sinners, saved by God's grace, just the same as anyone else in, the, else in this world. But amazingly, we've been included in the people that God is creating for Himself. Because the one true light of the world was sent into our darkness. We were included because Jesus, when we, like Abraham and his family, failed and couldn't help ourselves, entered into our darkness, suffered the deepest darkness possible, and overcame darkness for us. So we know and we believe that light overcame darkness in Christ and we're invited to share in his kingdom. Friends, if you confess Christ today and you are his follower, you are a mirror that reflects God's glory into the world. We don't have light in and out of ourselves, but God graciously uses us to shine his light in the world. So let's pray for God's grace that we might live with our faces turned towards his glory so that we can better reflect him. Let's participate in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we might become more holy people. Let's pray that the world around us will see Jesus in our lives as we live lives of holiness and love for the world and come to praise Jesus. This is our calling. Let's pray. And Lord, as we come and before your presence, and as we behold the light of the world who has come into our darkness. Lord, we realize that we too are now being sent into the world as Jesus has been sent to be his reflections, to be his lesser lights, but lights of Jesus nonetheless to shine the way back to the arms of God. So help us, Lord. Help us to see that this is the calling that we have received. Help us to come awake, Lord God, to what you have called us to. Help us to evaluate our decisions and our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God. I want to just give us this moment to go before the Lord and reflect on God's calling on us. For this, Jesus came into the world. For this, he laid down his life and was raised to glory so that we might share in his glory, so that we might share in the family business of our Father. And we don't need to wait around until something happens, but we can do that here right now. Even in the little things that we might have overlooked, the things that we might have been too busy to do, 
relationships around us that we could have cultivated. These are the real things that God has called us into. How is He calling you today? search our hearts and help us to see you and hear your leading and may we put our hands in yours and be led step by step so that we might truly be the people that you've called us to be light to the nations in Jesus name Thank you, Pastor Q. Uh, well, having started by adding two uh, new members to our family, we're going to conclude this service uh, by coming and partaking in this family meal. And as Pastor Q encouraged us, um, continue as we come forward, receive these elements, and even return back to your seat as we wait for everyone so we can partake as one family together. Consider these things, right? This table reminds you of whose you are, and as a result of whose you are, who you are. You belong to Christ, and you are now His light. You are to reflect Him. This table also reminds us of our forgiveness for being a poor reflection of who He is. But this table also gives us strength. We are empowered by His Spirit in receiving these elements to live into that as we were encouraged more and more. And third and last, maybe you can, even as we come to the the family meal here as the people of God. Again, think, as Pastor Q encouraged us, think of tangible people in your life that you can invite literally into your home, to your table, uh, into a family meal, into your life to reflect the joy of holiness and beauty of Christ and His gospel. All right? And so before we do, I just want to Encourage us to turn our attention to the screen. We're going to be reminded of exactly what it is we are doing here today. So, church, what is the Lord's Supper? And second, what is the right way to receive the Lord's Supper? Yeah, so as we were reminded, uh, the Lord invites us to His table, but we want to come in the right way, and, and that includes knowing Him. So if you're here and you are a visitor, we welcome you. We want to encourage you to continue to participate with us. Um, But the way that you can do that when you come forward is to grab one of these prayer cards, and there are some guided prayers to help you, again, continue to participate in this time. If something that was shared today uh, struck you, uh, perhaps some of those prayers can help guide your thoughts 
um, as you continue in your spiritual journey. But before prioritizing, again, coming to, and grabbing uh, these elements, the wafer and the cup, um, the first priority for you is to come to Christ, uh, even as you heard in these beautiful stories today, who welcomes you freely with open arms uh, into his family. Um, but for the rest of us, uh, be reminded, again, that you are welcome, not because of what you have done, but solely because of what Christ has done. Family of God, would you be reminded that on the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples as I ministering in his name give to you, saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And so church, let's come forward and feed together on him. There is a gluten-free option, by the way, that's the darker wafer here. I take the bread of life Broken for all my sin Your body crucified To make me whole again I will recall the cup poured out in sacrifice to trade the sinner's end for your new covenant.
God, light of the world, take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin and guilt, drink from it all of you. Amen. Let's rise, and as is appropriate, let's close in giving thanks and praise to our God in song.
Author of salvation, heroes and conquered the grave. Jesus, and we're gonna go shine your light. Shine your light and let the whole world see. Singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. The glory of the risen King. Savior. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Jesus Receive the benediction of the Lord. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. According to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord.
and failures Fill my life again Give my life to follow Everything I believe in Now I surrender I surrender Savior, He can move the mountains My God is mighty to save He is mighty to save forever Author of salvation He rose and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave Shine your light and let the whole world see Singing for the glory of the risen King Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see